Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 32. Alvin, the story of Ross Begg, Syrian senior, Liberty Records, Format Films, and The Alvin Show is out now. Order your hardback, paperback, or ebook copies today on Amazon or at bearmannermedia.com. A reminder that I am scheduled to be on Stu's show live on April 24th to discuss this book, and I also appeared recently on Phil Hall's online movie show to discuss it as well. I'm currently at work on the Total Television Scrapbook, and I'll give you more details about this in an upcoming episode. Our guest today worked as a librarian at the Albert and Timmy Latner Jewish Public Library of Toronto. He has been reading comic books since age four, and in his spare time launched the Jewish Comics Bibliography, which eventually led to an exhibition on display called Zap, Pow, Oi! And here he is, Steve Bergson. Okay, so on the phone I have Steve Bergson. How are you today? Great, how are you doing? Fine. Um, Don't know if I've ever spoken with you before, but uh, you're definitely interested in comic books, so tell us about how you got interested in comic books. Uh, I've been reading them for a long time, uh, since I was about four. Uh, I think I really started reading them just because I like superheroes. But uh, over time, I started to read other kinds of comics, too. And um, around the time I was in university, I was um, noticing some of the Jewish content in the comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mouse had won the Pulitzer Prize uh, and was making headlines and uh, getting discussed in universities. Um, I found out about Contract with God rather late, but I, I did discover that in my local library. Mm-hmm. And there's just more and more examples. And being Jewish myself, I thought it was interesting because I'd grown up reading comics that didn't seem to have any Jewish content at all, and all of a sudden it's right there out in front of me. And <laughs> um, I thought, you know, there are probably some other Jewish fanboys and fangirls that would also be interested in this. Maybe they don't. They're not as aware of this uh, stuff as I am. Mm-hmm. So I compiled the bibliography and I shared it with my um, Jewish librarian colleagues uh, because I got my library degree and got involved with the Association of Jewish Libraries. I met other Judaica librarians, um, many of them Jewish themselves. Um, and the project just seemed to get bigger and bigger and kind of snowball from there. Um, what I thought would be a one-time uh, email of a bibliography to the association because we had our own mailing list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I discovered I could turn that into a website and that could regularly update the website to add more and more entries. Mm-hmm. And it went from a, just a website to a, um, uh, a, a, a themed mailing list where other people were also discussing the topic and adding, uh, letting us know about their um, discoveries and conventions, uh, there were conven- there were forms of conventions, uh, panels, mm-hmm. and uh, that's still around, but not as active as it used to be. And then someone suggested I set up a blog, and I have a blog now. Uh, so between the old bibliography, the uh, the Yahoo forum, the blog, and then um, I just uh, I got into publishing a little bit. I got into uh, helping with museum exhibits. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a museum exhibit currently now in Toronto until I think they're trying to have it till the end of April about um, the Jewish Comics Connection uh, with quite a few local um, Canadian examples, which is interesting because people are more familiar with the American examples than the Canadian ones. But uh, mm-hmm. living here, I have some awareness of things like the um, the Jewish War Heroes comic that they published uh, before the end of the Second World War. Now, in your bibliography, I kind of took a quick look at it and everything. Um, do you just cover stories or creators that uh, have shown to do something that you know shows being Jewish, or is it just anything and everything? Because I mean, my my knowledge of you know the history of comic books is like basically. 
All the comic book companies, at least the U.S. ones, were founded by Jews, and all their fathers were tailors. And the, <laughs> you know, and you could look at that for Marvel, DC, Harvey, Archie—you know, pretty much every one of them. So, I mean, is there an angle, or is it just anything Jewish? I'll put it that way. Well, for myself, I'm more I, like I'll read the books, and I, you know, uh, in the Jewish creators, but I'm more interested myself in the. Uh, the Jewish content mm-hmm. stories, regardless of whether the uh, the writer, or the illustrator, or publisher is Jewish, uh, where they've decided to have Jewish characters and what they've done with those Jewish characters, where they've talked about Judaism, and even if they don't have Jewish characters. Um, I remember Alan Moore for the Prometheus series, uh, which I still haven't gotten around to reading, but there was a page I saw reproduced. Um, where uh, one of the characters is showing the other characters this kind of, uh, what looks like a hopscotch diagram on the, on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the, um, it's the symbols of Kabbalah, the, the, the ten uh, spheres, mm-hmm. done as a kind of hopscotch pattern. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there was anyone Jewish in that issue, but they took it, you know, Alan Moore, as he sometimes will do, just like took this religious concept and threw it into the story. Mm-hmm. And if you're Jewish, you recognize it right away. And if you're not, they just try to kind of explain it to the to the layperson. So, mm-hmm. okay. And then, do you cover like, you know, forgive me because I don't know everything off the top of my head, but you know, certain characters complete just because you know they are considered like like example in Fantastic Four. Uh, ben Grimm as a thing is considered like the personification of Jack Kirby in 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 certain right. regards. So I mean, would you cover all that just because he was Jewish? So the character's Jewish. So cover it all, or is it still have to have like something more than that uh, as far as what you would cover in your bibliography or for a show or something like that? Yeah, for, for my personal collection, I'm more interested in uh, times when his Jewishness uh, comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, the, the wedding issue recently, you know, they, they had the marriage under the chuppah, mm-hmm. he was wearing the, the prayer shawl and uh, and the skull cap, and uh, there was a rabbi marrying them, so that there was a lot more just content there than just the thing has a brawl on Yancey Street, you know, that's just, I mean, it's, right. <laughs> it may be based on, 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 the, on the real life fights that Jack Kirby had when he was growing up Jewish, but it's, you know, you know and having, you know, fights between the Jews, say the Jews and Italians in his neighborhood, but there's no specifically Jewish content in that story, so it would be nice to, you know, I'd read it anyways, but right. I wouldn't include my bibliography and discuss it, you know, in my panels and books and such. Yeah. Uh, with those books I mentioned before, um, I was really, you know, just intending to, you know, originally discuss these and tell people about them, you know, was excited to about sharing what I learned, you know, from uh, reading comics myself, but at one point I thought, wouldn't it be kind of nice to bring some of these Jewish stories together in a collection, especially the shorter ones, which people kind of pass by, they don't notice them as much because they're just either a backup story or a few pages in the main story, and why not commission some people to do new adaptations of folktales, for instance? Mm-hmm. So I kind of threw those ideas together. I ran it by a publisher who said, yeah, let's go with it. And now we've gotten two volumes uh, published out of that in, in Canada. Are, what, what are the names of those? Is the, name, the same names as the show? Because I saw Zap Pow Oi, or is that just the name of the show? That, that's the name of the exhibit. Okay. Uh, okay. The anthology is called the Jewish Comics Anthology. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first volume is spelled with a, Comics with an X. Oh, okay. And the second volume... We made that the subtitle, and the main title is SCI, because uh, they're all science fiction adaptations. Okay. And well, science fiction stories, mostly adaptations. So what's, what's the difference between the, the first volume and the second volume? Just that? Or? Uh, well, one of the differences is the second volume is all sci-fi. Okay, got it, okay. And uh, all of the material in the uh, second volume is new. Mm-hmm. It may be adapted from old. A lot of them are adapted from old stories, but it's all new, newly commissioned material. Oh, okay. Uh, and the first volume has reprints. We've got a reprint of a two-page golem story that was starting off one of the Strange Tales issues. Strange mm-hmm. uh, Tales one seventy-seven. Uh, we have a one-page Lilith issue, uh, Lilith origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Lilith, the, the daughter of Dracula, just Lilith, the uh, the Jewish myth. 
that they put into one of the, the vampire uh, magazines. Mm-hmm. It's got all kinds. Of, it, it's a whole mix of volume uh, one, which I like, and it it, it covers different uh, years. Volume um, two is all like 2018. Volume mm-hmm. uh, one, we had the. I think it came out in 2014. Mm-hmm. Let's look up what year it came out. But we had we had new material. But then we had material going all the way back to the 1940s. So Kubert did a golden story. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, which we managed to reprint. Hmm. Now, uh, um, since it goes back that far, I assume your c- collecting knowledge and everything goes back to as far back as when comic books began, and maybe even before. I mean, uh, was it harder? Go, go ahead. So I was just going to say it, it's a bit of a uh, problem for me because I was only born in '69. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Growing up, you know, all the, all the stuff I was buying new was stuff that came out in the '70s. So, uh, I had to do a bit of research and spend a bit of money to get stuff that predates me. Mm-hmm. And you know, the golden age stuff is hard to find. Uh, it's a bit, some of it's a bit too much out of pocket for me to to buy right now. Right. And yeah, go, going before the golden age, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of stuff like the David Kunzel uh, strip. Well, the, the the strips that David Kunzel mentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, religious pamphlets that were in the form of comic strips but um, I don't really go much past the 40s and even in the 40s I don't I don't have that much awareness I don't have that much in my personal collection but um, I did get the Jewish war heroes I did get um, uh, Bible stories picture stories from the Bible Old Testament edition right (laughs) but I I have the odd things from the 40s but it's mostly I guess 1970s onward. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I, I was just kind of curious. The, my main question, though, is: uh, Are there, uh, other than biblical stories, are there a lot of Jewish stories, to your knowledge, as far back as the 40s, or was it like kind of a hidden thing, like they might do something occasionally, but it wasn't really considered something you could do mainstream, let's say, back then. I don't find a lot from the 1940s. Okay. And again, it could be, you know, that, um, I mean, one of my uh, favorite um, sources to go to is the Grand Comics, uh, Grand Comics database, comics.org. Right. And, uh, you know, they're kind of limited in how much, you know, they may have, they may show all the covers and tell you how many issues came out in a particular year, but as far as giving synopses of every single story, you know, there's quite a backlog there. And, uh, a lack of knowledge on the part of the indexers too so uh, it's much easier to find out what they're publishing now you know if, if um, the synopsis is not available on the website people are discussing it on their blog they're discussing it on an internet forum it comes up when people discuss it at conventions but to know all to all the details about the stories from the 1940s is hard and I also think that even though you had a uh, a significant number of Jewish creators working in the comics industry at the time, they weren't interested so much in telling Jewish stories, or if they were, they were interested in trying to generalize it so much that unless you were Jewish and could read between the lines, you didn't see it as a Jewish story. It was just a generic story that everyone could enjoy. Right. And there's a marketing angle to that, too. It's easier to sell the generic stories in theory than the more specific stories because... um, well, they want a mass audience, of course. They don't want to <laughs> exclude anybody, yeah, but okay. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I forgot the name of the book. Uh, I think it's called Superman Was Jewish? Question mark. And, you know, so then you start thinking about that in that regard, you know, and they go, well, how many of these characters, if you really thought of them in like a Jewish sense, uh, would kind of explain things differently as to why they were created? Uh, did you find that in uh, various characters that you've read over the years that may not have been identified as Jewish, at least initially? Well, when they're going back to the Golden Age, I think, you know, using this, uh, from the Silver Age, uh, uh, quite a lot of times you'll find these uh, academics are uh, extrapolating when they don't have the, the uh, when they can't find the information in the interviews and the creators are locked on. Mm-hmm. They say, well, there's a, a likelihood that Superman was an archetype of Moses, but they'll never really know that because the can't Siegel and Schuster, who may have actually been more influenced by 
stories of Hercules and Samson. Right, right. Uh, Samson being Jewish too, but I mean, you know, Hercules, yeah. Atlas, and Paul Strongman. Yeah. Uh, in contemporary times, you know, you can go to a convention, you can, uh, you can uh, email the the author, and you, know, you can ask them. Some, some of them are just upfront about saying, yes, I was inspired by this Jewish source to create this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times it's guesswork. Hmm, okay. But, but uh, you know, talking about the generic stories again in mass audience, I think that the uh, uh, the common wisdom of the publishers back then was, yes, sell us the most generic stories you can mm-hmm. so that everyone can identify with the characters, everyone can identify with the situation. And I think the flip side you have now is that um, there's a significant number of, uh, a significant number of people in today's audience who look back at those stories and say, well, they were kind of bland, and I would find it bland if they were coming up with the story today. I want particularism. I want to see Jewish and Muslim and Hindu characters. I want ones that are more car- colorful. Right. I want, if I'm from a specific ethnic type, I want to see people that are like me, but I also want to see other ethnic types to see what their life is like, mm-hmm. rather than just one every man that no one can really identify with because they're their life is so bland that they can't relate to it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, did you find uh, in all the research over the years, and you can even go from the 70s to the present, uh, more like stereotyping or even just outright prejudice in a lot of the comic books versus, like, say, now? Or is it always been there or never been there? Um... Well, I mean, I, I think it's easier to see the stereotypes, unfortunately, with uh, things like uh, the representation of black people, African-Americans. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I went to a, an exhibit where they had some old Wonder Woman, but, you know, there was, there were all the, uh, the negative physical stereotypes of, of black people in this, but, you know, they, they say you have to appreciate, you know, that it was created in a certain time period, and that's the way they were all drawn, but, you know, I, I was shocked. I didn't realize that, you know, these types of images were in some of my favorite, were in comics with my favorite characters, but yeah. I didn't live through that period, so I'm, I'm looking at it with different eyes. Right. Um, I think there's more negative stereotypes of, you know, Native American Indians, the Aboriginal people, um, Blacks in the world, Jews, there probably were some, but I mean, it, it's, I think it's hard to find because there weren't that many examples of Jews in the comics in the first place, right. uh, explicit images of Jews. Yeah. The only, the only reason uh, I say that is because I was watching recently the uh, uh, uncensored version of Disney's Three Little Pigs. Granted, it's an animated cartoon, but the wolf disguises himself as a Jewish fuller brushman, and then on the censored version, as it were, you know, he just becomes a generic fuller brushman. But, you know, uh, so in your studies, did you find anything like that? It is like, you know, literally poking fun and, you know, drawing something with a stereotypical look or, you know, stereotypical symbols or things like that? Or was that kind of avoided completely back then in regards to Judaism? Um, uh, I just haven't found it myself. I mean, okay. one of the... Uh Going back to the 1950s, yeah, I think some of the earliest depictions of Jews um, of that period, besides the biblical comics, would be the Classics Illustrated. Mm-hmm. So there was a Classics Illustrated um, adaptations of Ivanhoe, mm-hmm. which had Isaac Jew and his daughter Rebecca. There was um, Oliver Twist, which had uh, Fagin the Jew, mm-hmm. which eventually became a uh, an adaptation by Will Eisner, Fagin the Jew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was, um, I'm not sure if it's, it's how much they adapted Merchants of Ven- The Merchant of Venice. At some point it got adapted, maybe not during the 1950s. Yeah. But, you know, in those uh, classic illustrated adaptations, I don't think they were particularly using Jewish stereotypes. They were just using, as far as uh, how the character appeared on the page in, in the story, they were just, you know, adapting it straight from Dickens, straight from uh, Walter C. Scott. Mm-hmm. And I, I know as uh, comics grew, as it were, you know, they tended to put more 
true messages instead of hidden symbolism or anything. And uh, the earliest examples I can think of is, and I can't think of sorority names, which, you know, if I research farther, I could have them at the top of my head. But, you know, some of the EC stories, you know, and like... Uh, shock suspense stories and things like that. I remember, uh, you know, there were certain things about people being prejudiced against and things like that. And I believe it was about uh, Judaism and things like that in some cases. You know, of course, Feldstein and Gaines were Jewish and wrote those stories. Uh, there's a, a story, um, at least partially reprinted, uh, on the walls of, um, uh, well, the, the um, we reprinted pages and, and hung them on one of the walls at that static uh, where that exhibit is. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, in Toronto um, from a story called Hate, mm-hmm. and that story involved a uh, an anti-Semite who likes uh, basically antagonizing the Jews of his neighborhood along with his fellow anti-Semites mm-hmm. uh, until he discovers that he was a do- well he was adopted, and we figure out it's discovered that. His true parents were Jewish, so he's Jewish himself. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I remember and that. And then he's not looking on being anti-Semitic, and then his, his former friends turned against him. Right. Uh, there was that story. There's uh, the classic uh, uh, Bernie Krigstein story, um, in Impact Number One, uh, Master Race. Right. Right. That's was influenced by Spiegelman when he did Mouse. Mm-hmm. And there was a story in. I think it was uh, one of the issues of psychiatry, mm-hmm. which Bill Gaines talked about. Um, the character became, ended up be, being not Jewish, but he said when they originally wrote the story, he was definitely Jewish, mm-hmm. and his being Jewish, you know, factored into his personality, which was why he was having issues mm-hmm. for, for, for directing the story. And then because of the comics code, they would say, "Well, take out all the Jewish references." Right. So they did, and then they said, "We did it, and we published it, and it really doesn't make sense without all the Jewish references." Wow. Hey, you're referring to psychoanalysis, right? That title? Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was psychoanalysis or psychiatrist. It was it's, like yeah, that. it's called psychoanalysis. It's a very long title, but okay. that's. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I remember that one, too. I've read mo- virtually everything EC put out, except maybe the earliest children's stuff or something. But, you know, it is interesting that uh, they had an EC show here in Eugene, Oregon, uh, two years ago, and it was fascinating looking at the original art on some of these. And it was from some of the stories you're talking about. Uh, is that the type of stuff that's in your uh, Zap Pow Oi show? What type of stuff did you have hanging in that show? Uh, well, it, it's, a com- it's in a way a combination of two shows. So one is just telling the the history of comics, the history of the industry, and the, and the Jewish creators behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the uh, stuff about um, you know Donenfeld and. Uh, Stan Lee, uh, Julie Schwartz, uh, stuff about the creators and showing to some of the the, the the typical comics that they were publishing at the time, and then we get in more to the um, the comics with Jewish content. Hereville, you know, modern some of the modern graphic novels that have a Jewish content. Taking uh, the Jew, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, we have reprints from what looks like the the first uh, concept that. Um, Eisner had for Fagan the Jew. It wasn't originally going to be a book. It was going to be some kind of TV treatment. Hmm. But he made these storyboards. And so I was able to put the, the panels from the storyboards together to show how he kind of transformed that into the correct novel. Hmm. Um, there's, there's one section we have on Jewish-Canadian content, Jewish-Canadian creators. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a small section because there's a lot less here in Canada than there is in the States, but we do have things like Northgard, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whose image got on one of our stamps. Uh, mm-hmm. It was recognized that way. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, there's, I don't know if you, how much you know about Broadway these days. Um, there's a, uh, a show going on there now called Come From Away. What's it called? I'm sorry? Uh, Come from away. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's doing quite well there. Um, one of its co-creators is a Canadian Jew, David Hine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not only was at one point uh, self-publishing these mini comics to kind of promote himself, uh, talk about his life. Um, he later went on to do a backup story for a Spider-Man issue. 
Mm, wow. My last year, I think. <laughs> so, um, let me see. Uh, and another issue okay. uh, I want to mention is, um, and I can't think of the name of the comic now, but um, one of the war issues, mm-hmm. uh, there was a story which revolved around um, a soldier who is different, but they never really explained you know, why he's different and how he's different. Mm-hmm. If you read between the lines, it seems like he's awfully Jewish. He, mm-hmm. he, so, uh, he uh, goes to services on Saturday instead of Sunday. Mm. And I think they made it, uh, reference to the fact he doesn't eat the same as they do. But, mm-hmm. but they never go, go right out and say he is Jewish. Mm. But he's either Jewish-like or he is Jewish. But you know, there, there, there's some of the clues there. I mean, Seventh-day Adventists also worship on... Uh, on Saturday instead of Sunday, and they have dietary rules too. Mm-hmm. So it could so, have been that, but so this was in either uh, Frontline Combat or Two Fisted Tales, one of those. It may have been Frontline Combat. I'd have to. Okay, I think it is. That's why I said that one first because I believe yeah. it is in that title. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything? Uh, I guess. Uh, that kind of stands out that you you know really are looking for for a good story to represent in either your books or in a show what what type of things do you look for um well uh, in jewish books in general and you know it, it applies to comics also mm-hmm. um i don't i don't like it to be tokenism okay um, I don't like it to be, just be that, uh, hey, meet my friend here, Ira Goldberg, and okay, now we know that he's your, he's your friend and that he's Jewish, and then nothing about his Jewish identity is shown the rest of the whole issue or the rest of the series. It's just, we all know he's Jewish. Right. We all know this guy's person, but how does that affect his life, and how does that affect the story or anything? You know, it's just a guy who's there just to say, we have it to win this issue. You know, it's, it, it doesn't uh, do much. Okay. Or if he's, you know, if, if it's uh, if it's a holiday issue and they have him lighting a menorah and then nothing else happens, it's like, you know, Jews do more than just you know <laughs> say, hey, I'm this old Jew, or you know, uh, you know, light the menorah and that's right. it. You know, there's other things to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, it, 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 it's a bit of a tricky thing with story time because we don't want. Um, you know, I've heard this from other librarians that I've worked with. You know, we don't want every time they, they uh, decide to have a Jewish character, it's got to be Holocaust. It's got to be anti-Semitism. Right. The Jew has the victim or potential victim because we're, we're more than just victims or stand-ins for victims. Yeah. You know, the, the same way that you don't want a woman uh, an issue to just be the damsel in distress. There's other things she does before she becomes the damsel in distress, and she may be tough enough and you know have enough courage that. She's not the damsel in distress. She's actually the heroine. Mm-hmm. She's actually uh, someone that fights the uh, the villain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jews have other roles they can play in comics. They can play in stories besides being victim. Besides just being, the, you know, uh, a token to show that you're multicultural. Um, but you don't turn you know, the. Tell storyteller to, to use the, the characters right. It's like like. With, if they're going to introduce an Italian, or they're going to introduce a Catholic, or any other kind of type, you know. We want well-rounded characters and well-rounded stories. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one by this uh, Jewish writer, Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. Matt Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. He did this, uh, I-, I thought it was quite a, a, an interesting um, mini-series, which uh, he collected as a trade paperback. Um so like four kids walk into a bank, mm-hmm. and one of that one of those characters was Jewish, but it uh, it wasn't front and center. You, you knew he was Jewish. He wore a yarmulke. You know, there was so throwing some Yiddishisms from time to time, but um, mm-hmm. he, he was an important part of the story without you know pointing to his Jewishness all the time. Hmm. Okay. And I assume, you know, the ones you're describing are probably like the favorite types that you like to see, you know, for good representations and, yeah, not the victim ones, even though you did mention earlier like Mouse or something, which does have the Holocaust in it in its own way, you know, but 
I assume that's what you prefer is not the non the non Holocaust kind of one that just shows good representation of Judaism, correct? Yeah, um, I mean, one of my favorites is uh, the Hearable series. There, there's three books out mm-hmm. uh, by Barry Deutsch, and uh, the tagline is it's, it's another um, another story about an 11 year old Orthodox Jewish girl who wants to fight dragons. <laughs> Obviously, you focus on comic books, but uh, have you ever planned, or do you ever plan to expand into other areas like movies, television, music, or anything else? Uh, I'm interested in all the ways that um, Jews and Jewish ideas are represented. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I go to Jewish film festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, I go out to the movies, whether you know uh, I'm intending to see a Jewish movie or not. Sometimes I. Um, you have those aha move, uh, moments when the, there's a, a Jewish reference you weren't expecting to see there and like later you're processing it mm-hmm. was that a good reference to have or not a bad reference and <laughs> why did they put that in there <laughs> uh, one of my a, a non moment I remember seeing this um, what was it? It was this Christmas Slayer movie uh, around a wedding Oh, which one? Very bad things, I think it's called. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a death that happens during the, the bachelor party, and they have to bury the body because they don't want to get involved in, you know, don't want the police to fall out. And all of a sudden, the Jewish guy who's among them says, "Wait, we can't bury the parts like this. We have to bury them all together because it goes against my my culture and my beliefs and everything." I just, I, you know, I'm going to have a, a breakdown or whatever if we don't do this properly and then they have to dig up all the body parts and then put them all together wow. it was bizarre wow <laughs> but, but I, I understood what the character was thinking mm-hmm. yeah now, now in your own background uh, are you totally devout or were you raised that way or uh, did you have to kind of learn certain things over the years about uh, how the Jewish culture is and things like that? Uh, I was raised conservative, but I went to um, uh, the school system here. Hold on, Max. Yes, okay, fine. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. You <laughs> um, can edit it out if so, we have to. <laughs> anyway. Thank you. <laughs> um, so there's a school system here called the Associate Hebrew Day Schools, and, and they're pretty... Uh, good about teaching you a lot of the uh, a lot about Jewish culture and, and the Jewish religion. 
Uh, I think they're more traditional than I was in my own home. Hmm. Um, some of the stuff you just pick up. I mean, in my professional career, I spent nine years as a Judaica librarian. Mm-hmm. And you're surrounded by these Jewish texts and these books about Jewish texts. And you interact with, with some of your patrons. You know, they're, they're trying to find something. And as much as you're trying to, to teach them where to find the information in the library, you're also learning the stuff yourself. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's been an interesting you know, Jewish journey for me. Uh, I'm, I'm still working in a Jewish organization, but not um, with the kind of religious books I used to. And... Um, I meet people at panels and at comic conventions, so it's it's a learning process. And um, you know, I, I have uh, you know my, my children are, are getting a Jewish education now, so mm-hmm. you know, I'm learning through them some of it too. You know, do they actually go, go through plays or help them with their presentations? Mm-hmm. Do they actually attend Hebrew school? Do they go that far, or just? Uh... You just keep them in the faith, as it were. A, a, a different Hebrew school than I attended. I see. But, you know, they're still learning the holidays. They're still learning uh, the language. Mm-hmm. And I, I assume you observe all the uh, the customs and everything as best as you possibly can. You know, it's like like you probably have bar mitzvah and things like that, and uh, Sabbath and all that. Uh, how 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 devout are you in that regard? I'm just curious. Yeah, I had a bar mitzvah. My children are going to have bar mitzvahs, and mm-hmm. uh, we have Friday night dinners. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the, the, in, in Judaism, there's um, 613 laws. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that uh, Christians talk about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> we have that too. We call them in, in Hebrew the Aseret Dibrot, but those are ten out of the 613. Uh-huh. They're considered like the most important ten. Mm-hmm. But there's all these uh, 603 other ones. <laughs> which you don't have to follow them every day, but throughout the year there's 613 to come up, and I'm I don't follow anywhere near that number, but uh, you know the, the, I like to think I, I follow the important ones, and I'm aware of the other ones. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, given the way that uh, you know my my lifestyle is, my family's lifestyle is, we we want to be uh, respectful, and we want to be observe certain traditions while not being able to maintain them all, you know, as an Orthodox Jewish. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have to confess, you know, I, I was raised Christian, so, you know, it's like, and I'm not Jewish, so it's like everything I've learned, I've either learned from friends or uh, attending things, going to the movies, learning things by reading, things like that. So, you know, I can't say I'm extraordinarily knowledgeable about the subject, but enough to get by. I mean, it's like that, you know, I can talk about it and and know, you know, certain things and certain uh, festivals, certain uh, holidays, things like that, you know. I mean, and talking about the Orthodox, um, Mm -hmm. one of the uh, impressions that I've gotten from years of research and reading is that there's not that much... um, Participation in the comics industry by the Orthodox, which doesn't mean that there's none at all. Yeah, but it, it's so little, and as a result of that, um, I mean, there's Orthodox people who work in comics who will do. They'll work on Superman. They'll work on Wonder Woman. Uh, there's a guy Neil Clyde. I know he worked on the story in an issue of Creepy. Mm-hmm. So they'll do the, the mainstream stuff. Um, you, you don't always do stuff from your background, but at the same time, some of them once in a while. They'll put out a, a book that's got Jewish content, or even Orthodox Jewish content, mm-hmm. and some of that will, you know, kind of filter. You know, will be uh, noticed and maybe remembered by their readers. You know, if there's a, a Neil Pye fan, they might pick up Brownsville just because they're a fan of his work, and then learn about the Jewish mafia, mm-hmm. or pick up the Big Crime and learn about um, a bit about the Orthodox Jewish world and get a sense of their attitudes. Uh, because of that book. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in in all your comic book uh, research and everything, are there any stories that you've heard about that you are trying to track down but just haven't because, you know, you said like in the Grand Comics database, sometimes they don't have enough information uh, that you you just like to see or, you know, read or something. You know, do you, yeah. uh, are you always looking for things and what type of things are you looking for at this time? Well, 
I've been maintaining a list, you know, uh, um, um, I don't think I have it published, but I've been maintaining a list of items I'm aware of that I just haven't, either I can't find or I'm not ready to, to purchase them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that list keeps growing, and then I try to, you know, check my items off the list if I go to the comic shop and you know, have an opportunity to buy something. Right. Just reasonably. I, 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 there's quite a long list of, of stuff which I would like to buy. Mm-hmm. Or stuff which I hear is coming out, and then I hope I can get a review copy, or that you know they'll sell it in a store. Um, next Saturday, um, uh, there's going to be a panel at um, the Beit Abraham Yosef Toronto Synagogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be on the panel with Jordan Gorfinkel, who's going to be there to promote his ta- his Passover Haggadah graphic novel, which is. Uh, um, I got an advanced copy. It looks very interesting, very colorful. Uh, it can be used during the Passover Seder, but it also, um, it's just very impressive to read. Jordan uh, Garfinkel is, of course, the um, one of the former Batman editors. Mm-hmm. He's got his you know, comics credentials, but he's also got his um, kind of Jewish comics credentials. He's got a um, an ongoing syndicated uh, comic strip called um, what does he call it now? <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Okay, that's okay. It, it, it changed names. Um, I could say the old name. It was once called Children of People. It was called, yeah, I say you could say the old name. What was it? I think it was called The Chosen People. Okay. But, um, if you look up Jewish Comics Gorfinkel, you'll find it. Okay. That's a Google search for everybody out there listening. JewishCartoon.org. <laughs> okay. Uh, part part of the reason I was asking. Uh, go ahead. Uh, it may be JewishCartoon.com. Okay. All right. Part part of the reason I was asking if there's any elusive ones or anything you were looking for is I bet because I'm a Harvey Comics fan, so I'm I've seen like every story. There's a couple Harvey things that you may or may not be aware of, and if you're aware of, hey, kudos to you. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I, I go ahead. Sorry, no. so the, the one Harvey that I do have is um, Little Dots. Uh, no Easter for Seth. Okay. Yeah, that's one of them. Okay, so you do know about that one. Actually, is it Little Dot or Little Audrey? I thought it was Little Audrey, but um, yeah, you you did find that one. It's a but she's a friend of Little Dot, wasn't she? I get them mixed up sometimes. Yeah, I think it's a Little Audrey story, but you got the title right. I know you have the right story. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe Seth is Seth Jacobson, even though they never say it in the story, which uh, uh, one of the uh, editors at uh, Harvey was Sid Jacobson, and his son is named Seth. So um, that's where that came from, and I'm still good friends with Sid now. Uh, the other one is this, is that in the late uh, 80s, Harvey kind of split when the original owners uh, got older or passed away, and uh, the all the children of the owners uh, got the rights to the Harvey Comics Company before they sold it. And one branch of the family uh, decided to move back to, uh, or not move back to, but move to Israel. And uh, they actually produced a Casper comic that's in total Hebrew. And uh, it's kind of hard to find, but I managed to get my hands on it. And it's it, it's it, it's like a coloring book, so it's it's not really a story, but it's just like uh, their their intention was to do Jewish Harvey comics, but they never really got off the ground beyond the one book. And I managed to get <laughs> I managed to get a copy through this uh, online thing, and unfortunately, it was the last copy. Otherwise, I'd refer you to them called Oi Toys, and uh, they just had one in their uh, uh, in their stock and they sold it to me so that's something to look out for if you're looking for bizarre or rare Harvey Jewish comics that actually are Jewish you know <laughs> so yeah, I have seen the, the Casper I just wasn't sure I didn't have the background about it but yeah yeah so, so you have seen those things, but, but you know it's it's very kind of interesting because you know although the Harveys were Jewish and are and their uh, surname really was originally Wiernikoff, uh, they 
they don't really discuss it much in any of their comics. I mean, if anything, Richie Rich and all the characters celebrate Christmas, but, you know, that seems to be across the board in a lot of comic books that, you know, ho, 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 and Santa, not necessarily Jesus Christ, you know, just, you know, (laughs) the, you know, the secular version of Christmas, as it were, you know. (laughs) But... Yeah, well, I mean, in in, in more recent years, um, they haven't given up on the idea that uh, they want to show uh, superheroes celebrating Christmas, yeah. but they've expanded it to have you know Kwanzaa stories and Hanukkah stories and their holiday issues. Mm-hmm. And now that's the, the superhero holiday issues. Yeah. Uh, this last uh, December they had um, an X Men holiday special, mm. and it included Magneto, um, some kind of Magneto Hanukkah, uh, and, and, and they're, they're really short ones. Like they, they had one for every day of the, of the of month or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, Kitty Pride in there lighting the menorah. There was uh, Wolverine coming to the rescue of some family celebrating Hanukkah, something like that. So it's interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I remember now that uh, John Gorfinkel syndicated comic. Oh, yeah? It's called Everything is Relative. Everything is Relative, okay. All right. <laughs> so I'll have to look that up and uh, check that out. Uh, yes, everything's. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've seen seen other books out that other people put out, like Craig Gio put out a book called We Spoke Out, and this is a Holocaust book, but uh, did you participate and help out in, uh, with those books and things like that? I didn't help out with We Spoke Out. I met Raphael Medoff in person when he was telling me about working on the book. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess it was too, too late for me to get involved, because I would have been you know, happy to be involved with that. Okay. Um, but I reviewed it for the Association of Jewish Libraries. I uh, gave it a positive review. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah. Um, doesn't have everything, but it's hard to include every story. The book just gets bigger and more expensive once you put out a second volume, maybe. But, right. <laughs> uh, he, he had some good choices in there. Yeah. I do know that Craig Yo tends to like to put ones that he doesn't have to pay licensing fees and things like that, which is, you know, no issue there. But, you That's know, probably one aspect of it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he likes the public domain stuff, which is certainly fine because a lot of that stuff is hard to find, you know, so, you know, if he's repairing it at all, I'm happy, even if it's, you know, considered public domain, you know, so. <laughs> um, well, maybe something that Craig and I have in common is that we both like the idea of, you know, not just, you know, sharing our knowledge of comics and uh, giving a wide exposure, Mm-hmm. But trying to highlight the hard to find stuff because if it was, if it was, if it took year, years to even find out about, much less track it down and read it. Yeah. How, how much less likely are other people to know about it? And if you can get it published, it you know by a mainstream publisher now, so people can get their hands on it, then you've done kind of a you know this this great thing of uh, letting it have a second life. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you've said you've done some various panels, so which uh, panels have you done in, you know, have you done uh, comic shows around the country down here, or just in Canada, or both? Uh, well, some of the panels I've been on have been academic panels at the Association of Jewish Libraries Conference. Okay. Uh, I did one non-Jewish, sorry, I, I did one panel for the Popular Culture Association years ago, uh, did a panel at the American Library Association. Mm-hmm. So that one was more to do with the represent- representation of librarians in comics mm-hmm. than Jewish, because that, that was one of my sideline interests for a while. Uh, kind of got overtaken by the representation of Jews in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I've pr- uh, been on a panel at New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con. Um, I've done some panels at uh, the Jewish Community Center here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, and now, uh, I haven't been at New York Comic Con in years, but apparently for two years running, and they'll probably continue doing it, there's this group called the, um, there's a podcast called Nice Jewish Fangirls. <laughs> I think I've heard uh, of that, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it's hosted by three Orthodox Jewish uh, women who mm-hmm. love, um, into fandom, not just comics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, They've been hosting um, panels at New York Comic Con. She packed room two years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. 
And have you been on their show? <laughs> haven't been on their show yet, but oh. but I've had correspondence with some of them. And uh, okay. you don't when they have these panels, you don't have to be Orthodox. You don't even have to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a fangirl. You know, the, uh, everyone's invited to be in the audience, but the three people they're moderating it. That's what their background is, mm-hmm. and that's the lens that they're looking at comics and popular culture through. Mm-hmm. And when you when you've been on these various panels, uh, are they usually about like what we're talking about, or do you, do you talk about other things? What what was how the panels usually go for you? Um, I try to steer towards Jewish um, content in the comics. Sometimes it kind of uh, swings the other way towards the Jewish creators. Mm-hmm. Kind of depends on who's invited and what they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, two of my pals have been with, with Danny Fingeroff, mm-hmm. uh, who's a great speaker and a great organizer too. That's who he's now helps organize panels as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Marv Wolfman on one of my panels. That was interesting because <laughs> he's most associated with things like Tomb of Dracula, the New Teen Titans. Um, but he also was asked to write this um, book called The Illustrated History of the State of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the story he told uh, was that um, a guy working at one of the Jewish um, charities that was trying to put this book together, um, he'd come across his work on... Um, the history of the DC Universe, which came out around the uh, time of their 50th anniversary, mm-hmm. in conjunction with the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and he liked the way he did that story so much. He, you know, Marv said, Marv said to him something like, "But you realize that I do fiction." He said, "I know you do fiction, but the style that you use to tell this fictional history can be applied to telling a a true life history." Mm-hmm. So uh, Marv decided to do the uh, project, and it's it came out beautifully. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Uh, now, um, just shifting over a little bit because you mentioned it. You know, sometimes you said the a conversation switches over to Jewish creators, which there certainly are a lot. And uh, I was just kind of thinking, you know, and it, there's no right or wrong. It's just your opinion. You know, it's like, why do you think uh, so many? There are so many Jewish creators in comic books. Well, the, the theory that usually gets uh, thrown out, and uh, I think certainly some validity, validity, excuse me, validity to it, <laughs> um, is that in a time when some of the Jewish artists um, have been impressed with uh, the work they saw in comic strips on the newspaper page, mm-hmm. want to break into the industry, they were basically shut out, and along came comic books which had a similar... Um, similar format instead of being you know a single line it's just like line after line of a continuing story mm-hmm. uh, so they could do the comic book comic art in an industry where not only were they not specifically shut out um, there was easy entry because well two things first of all there were some Jewish publishers mm-hmm. who weren't going to exclude other Jews from the industry right <laughs> but also they were looking for uh, this might not sound nice they're looking for people that were desperate that they could take advantage of because um, there were no and they're also looking for, for, for cheap work you know they, they didn't care that you know uh, the work was not up to today's artistic and, and writing standards because there were no standards to go by right so if they could uh, have a fast turnaround and get the, get the comics on the shelves they, they were lenient about you know how, how great your art had to be how great your stories had to be Mm-hmm. How much they had to make sense. So th- there were these just desperately in need, need of jobs during the depression. Because mm-hmm. you know this is really starting in the 1930s. There were employers who were desperate for anything resembling talent to to fill their comic pages up, so they could get them on the stands. And, you know, at, at first just try to break even, and then see that there was actually uh, quite a bit of profit to make from it. And and it was a it was a good match. Mm, okay. Yeah, because and the yeah. comic started to be respectable, and some of these artists found out that they, uh, you know, some of them learned from some of the, the the better artists that were on staff. So they improved their art, they improved their craft and their form. Some of them, like Seal and Schuster, thought we're at a point now where you know our character is doing very well, and you know 
we should be in demand, so we're going to demand more money. And the, the answer was, no, you're not getting more money. Right. <laughs> you know, like, the job. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, I just got finished reading the Superman book by I think Larry Ty is the author and yeah it goes at length about that. Of course, there's other ones, you know, about the history of Superman and everything and all the struggles that Siegel and Schuster had, you know, through the years. Um, part of it is like they did sign a pretty crummy deal, but you know they probably were desperate at the time, you know, and looking back on it, maybe they would have negotiated a little bit better, but they were kids, basically, so <laughs> who knows you know, but uh it seemed like it came out right in the end, although it took a long time unfortunately for them but um did you find that a a lot is that people were mistreated in the industry, or did that just not happen? It just these are just isolated incidents. I think it depended who you were and where you ended up. Mm -hmm. I think Eisner and Iger treated their um, their talent fairly, mm. and part of that might be because Eisner, who was also not just one of the co-owners, but who was also an artist himself, he appreciated you know what the other artists were going through and wanted to see if they got a fair deal. Mm -hmm. uh, and Kirby was one of the ones that came through the Ice Rocker Studios. Mm -hmm. uh, some other big names too. I don't. Know. I think Lou Fine came through the studios. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I can't think of others off the top of my head, but yeah, quite a few did kind of come through their doors and things like that. Um, and uh, what else was I going to ask you? Just you know. Uh, Is there anything else that uh, you're kind of looking for for the future? I mean, what are your goals now? I mean, you have, it sounds like, you know, you've done the shows, you've had the books. I mean, are there more books on the horizon, more shows on the horizon, uh, more guest speakers? What, 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 what is coming up for you? Uh, besides the panel next week, I don't really have any, uh, any long-term plans. But, you know, I'm going to keep trying to um, keep an eye out for what's uh, what's coming up up in the comic shops uh, mm -hmm. what interesting Jewish content's going to be for sale and trying to promote it as best as I can right now the, the, the easiest way for me to promote stuff is through Facebook which isn't maybe the best way but at least my contacts and you know learn about it through me mm -hmm. um, and I'm especially you know trying to keep an eye out for Canadian Jewish content because that seems to be uh, oddly enough a, an area where there doesn't seem to be there hasn't been that much and it, it's coming through it's coming onto, onto the market slowly it seems compared to other uh, kinds of stories mm -hmm. and, and it's not that we don't have uh, you know comics publishing in Canada we, we've got you know our, our our biggest publisher is probably drawn in quarterly, and they do well on both sides of the border, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, they certainly do well in Canada. Uh, we've got, I think, nine other smaller publishers just doing comics and graphic novels. Mm -hmm. There are some book publishers that are occasionally will come out with a graphic novel, which might or might not be have Jewish content. Mm -hmm. But um, the thing with drawn in quarterly is, is a lot of the Jewish books, Jewish content books they come out with uh, they're not necessarily by Canadians, and they're not necessarily um, having Canadian Jewish content. You know? mm -hmm. um, there's a book they did by Guy Delisle, uh, a travelogue called uh, Jerusalem Chronicles from the Holy Land, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it, it, was a, it was a nice, it was a great book. I was glad, glad it was out, and I, I read it. But um, he himself isn't Jewish, so. <laughs> Why, why, there aren't, why they aren't also publishing a travelogue by a Canadian Jew who's gone to Israel? I don't know. Maybe yeah. they haven't presented themselves the idea to John Corley. Maybe John Corley rejected it. Hmm. Yeah. Now this this may seem a silly question, but I'll ask it because I'm sure. Uh, is the Jewish experience different for a Canadian than someone from the United States, or is it very similar? I'm not the best qualified to answer that, but I would say, I would certainly say yes from the, from my own personal experience and from books I've read. It, there are differences, but of course there's going to be similarities too. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I, I talk a bit about this um, 
the introduction to uh, the first volume of the Jewish Comics Anthology. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're on a border town, you know, and Toronto's pretty close to the Buffalo border, mm-hmm. uh, at, least, at least in terms of the airwaves. So, you know, they have access to some of, you know, before the days of cable and the internet, uh, you know, they had access to some of our shows, we had access to some of their shows. Um, there are people in Toronto who would go across to Buffalo to do shopping and go from Buffalo to Toronto. So, you know, you have that, you know, cross-pollination of uh, American Jewish and Canadian Jewish and American and Canadian ideas. But um, the, things are different growing up in Canada. One, one thing is, you know, like I said, with the comics industry, you know, we don't have that history. We don't seem to have that history of Canadian Jews getting involved in the comic industry. If they were there, it's not that well known. Hmm. And Canadian comics, the Canadian comics industry itself is not that well known uh, here as the American industry is. We don't have as many scholars working on that. Right. Uh, to bring out history. So. Hmm. And, and there are differences in attitude, uh, you know, with our legislation sometimes being different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I lived in Texas for two and a half years, and it's uh, it's a transition going from uh, a place where I don't know anyone who owns a gun to a place where it seems like everybody has a gun. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> wow. So you have lived in the United States. So <laughs> I, I, you, yeah. You're stopped at a traffic light, and it's not uncommon to see uh, a pickup truck beside you, and they've got a rifle in the back. Wow. Well, that's even different from here. I mean, I'm sure there's people here in Oregon where I am, and, you know, even in California, but, you know, Texas is like its own thing, you know, (laughs) compared to those locations. But, uh, yeah, I get it. (laughs) So There's a difference between, you know, living in a small state... Mm-hmm. You know, where you don't have to drive too far in either in you know any direction to get to the next state. Uh, and someplace like California, which I think California is about the size of a lot of our provinces, right? Where you can just like drive north for. Oh yeah, you, you can hours, you, you can drive for thirteen thirteen hours north, and you'd still be in California. So yeah, if you're from the going from San yeah, Diego up, so yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and a lot of our promises are big like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's... Um, I, I've heard about how different it is to, to live in Winnipeg than it is in, in Toronto because you're so far from a major city. At least in Toronto, you know, we can drive to Hamilton, you can drive to Guelph. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, the other way, you can, you know, it's only a three-hour drive from Kingston. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some of the other cities are so remote and, and it affects your culture when it's so insular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of these days I'm gonna have to make it up there. I mean, it's like I'm only five hours away. I've been to Seattle, but uh, <laughs> I didn't have my passport, and I was just thinking, you know, the way things are nowadays. I crossed over the line. It's like, oh, you can't come back without this, that, and the other. And I was like, oh, so I, you know, but one of these days I'll get up to Canada to visit a few places. So, <laughs> but um, and as far as comps goes, though, Toronto's an interesting Toronto in Canada, you know. It's an interesting place to live. You know, we, we Toronto's the home of the Beguiling, which is a, a world-renowned comic comic shop, which sells a lot of you know alternative and small press, but also sells mainstream comics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's managed to stay in business for some probably at least twenty years, mm-hmm. probably older than that. Uh, we also have Silver Snail, which is a long-running comic shop. Mm. But yeah, this is the home of Prisoners of Gravity, which if you ever seen on YouTube, it's. Uh, it's kind of a, a groundbreaking sci-fi and comics popular culture show. Mm, okay. Uh, it was unfortunately short-lived, but you know, they, they <laughs> at a time when you know their names were not as big as they are now, they were managing to get interviews with Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore and uh, you know, all, all the greats of Canadian and American sci-fi and, and comics. You know. Uh, and top, you know, they'd get these these themed uh, episodes where you know they'd have just one episode talking about how women are represented in comics or about um, autobiographical comics, and mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it was interesting to you know be here in the city where that was being produced. And the uh, the producer of that show, Mark Askwith, went on to do other great things in, in sci-fi and pop culture. Mm. 
Now, and we've got the Toronto Comic Art Festival, which is, uh, I, I th- I, I've been to Mocha Fest, and I think it's just as, as great a show as Mocha. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I've heard of that, so it's actually, it sounds like it's pretty good up there. Um, yeah. Uh, so... We're getting near the end of the show here, and I always have let everybody, even though we plugged a few things during the show, but uh, if people want to get in contact with you or they want to see books or, or see your website, uh, how, do, how do they get in touch with you? How do they order your books? And where will they see you next? Um... To get in touch with me, probably best through the blog. I think there's, uh, if they want to send an email, I, I believe I still have a, an email link uh, on the blog, which is jewishcomics.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. Um, to get a copy of uh, Jewish Comics Anthology, if you just do, um, use the website uh, jewishcomicsanthology.com, it'll direct you to the page where you can order, I think, both volumes. Uh, or at least, uh, from there you can email the publisher and ask how to get a copy um, volume 2 is available at amazon.com mm-hmm. um, I believe we're trying to get volume 1 published as a trade paperback uh, cheaper than the, the hardcover was mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure where we are in that yet mm-hmm. um, and volume 2 and hopefully volume 1 two as well soon uh, will be on Comixology if you prefer the digital version cool okay and any upcoming appearances, or you said you really didn't have anything planned at this time? <laughs> well, my next appearance will be at the panel next Saturday. Okay, but beyond that, no, like, nothing later this summer or anything like that, or uh, next, you know, fall or something like that, to your knowledge? Um, I might be, I'm, I'm planning to make an appearance at the, um, at a comic studies conference at Ryerson University here in Toronto. Okay. Um, I don't know if my uh, my um, presentation idea is going to be accepted yet or not. So, uh, <laughs> uh, or, or past the deadline, I haven't heard back from them yet. But, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, if I'm not presenting, I think I'll go there just to hang out with comic scholars and see what they're going to be presenting on. It's uh, the theme this year is um, political comics and graphic novels. So, oh, okay, that interesting. Oh, very good. Uh, I pre- I'm, on, I'm on Facebook. If somebody looks up. Um, Steve Burks in Toronto, something like that. I think I'll show up easily enough. Okay. <laughs> well, I found your website, but of course you gave me a link, so it's like <laughs> I found your Facebook and everything. So, but uh, yeah, if, if anybody can't find it through, through normal means, you know, drop me a line, and then you know I can put you in touch with Steve. But anyway, I appreciate uh, you being on the show today, and I want to thank you very much, and. Anything else? You, any final words you'd like to say? Keep reading great comics. All right. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Steve Bergson, for being my special guest. Episode number 33 will be coming soon. If you'd like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Fun Ideas Productions, and if everyone listening just contributed $1 a month, that would be a tremendous help. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night.